Welcome to In Our Own Defense Podcast. We're your host, Attorney A.D. Winters, founder and managing attorney for VeteransDefender.com, and Dr. Dolores Tarver, licensed psychologist. For more information about our show, uh, just go to our podcast at In Our Own Defense, on Instagram, on Facebook at In Our Own Defense, and our, our Gmail, you can email us at InOurOwnDefense at gmail.com. Our mission is to share truths and create a dialogue and increases our listeners' awareness uh, and a variety of concerns to foster development of holistic approach to, that incorporates mental, physical, spiritual, financial, and emotional and intellectual wellness. Dr. Tarver? The information provided during the In Our Own Defense podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for the knowledge, skill, and judgment of qualified mental health or medical health care professionals. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this site are for general informational purposes only. Well, welcome again to another show, Dr. Tarver. In this episode, uh, we have the privilege and the luxury uh, in our own defense podcast to bring uh, Dr. DeAndre Ori back to the show. Um, you know, we had a great show last time, a lot of good feedback from last uh, show that we had him on. Uh, this, this month is Justice June, and we get the chance to uh, work with Dr. Uh, Ori again. But before, I just want to know, um, as you've been watching the, the kind of uh, the backlash uh, after the Atlanta murder, we were going through the Floyd murder, fighting for Breonna Taylor, trying to get justice. We brought Judge Moore on last week. We deep dived in some of these legal issues and this this uh, doctrine called qualified immunity. The Supreme Court ultimately this past week didn't uh, choose to hear the case out of the eight cases. Clarence Thomas made it a, a stalwart effort in saying that he it, he found no statutory or constitutional basis for qualified immunity. Uh, Congress is now the next bite of apple to do it legislatively. But one of the things that we noticed after the murder of this kid in, in, in Georgia, this young man in, in, in Georgia, um, he was, after he was murdered, Mr. Rayshard Brooks, when Mr. Brooks was sleeping in his car and he was murdered by this, this law officer, whether he was drunk or whatever it was, he was murdered and these, this officer was charged with murder and all the officer has been charged. Uh, what, what is happening most recently, and that's disturbing to me, is the police have, not, have now started to not answer their calls. They've now started to walk off their shift, call in sick in the metro Atlanta area. That's disturbing to me and it, it indicates to me that there's some sort of bias that these people are saying in, in a way that if I am being called out for killing black people, harming black, unarmed black people, then I ain't gonna come to work. Now, that bias is disturbing to me, Dr. Tarper. Please help me unpack this. Well, we have a great guest on our show to be able to really dive into this. We're going to talk about um, implicit racial bias. We're going to talk about cognitive dissonance. We're going to talk about racial identity models that I think is going to help people better understand why the officers are responding in the way they are. And also, if we look at the previous case, you may remember of the Spelman and Morehouse uh, students, Pilgrim and Young, who were pulled out of their cars. And those officers were actually African-American officers. And the backlash that came out of why are black officers attacking our black young people. So you have in both of those cases, examples of officers who responded in uses of excessive force. Those uh, young people were tased uh, and, and slammed to the ground. 
And then in the case of uh, Mr. Brooks, you have that he was shot in the back twice um, while he was uh, trying to escape. And the conversation that ended up becoming around that was, uh, well, why did he grab the taser? Why did he run? And so we're going to get into that piece as we talk about how police respond, but also just to kind of answer your question before going into, I guess, more detail as we talk about Dr. Ori's uh, work is that often people do not like to be told what to do. Uh, and particularly, they don't want to be told what to do when they have an identity that is around who they are in their career. So their occupational identity, if you will. So if, my, if in my identity, I feel like I am, in this case, an officer of the law and that I get to exercise judgment in how the law is, um, the law is, is, is followed by, by citizens. And then you all are telling me that you get to dictate how I do my job, then I'm going to have a little bit of cognitive dissonance around that. So my behavior has to match. So in other words, what I think about who I am as a police officer isn't matching what you in the public are telling me should be my role as a police officer. So now I have to figure out how to get my thoughts and my behavior to line up. So what I do is I'll just walk off my job. I won't come in. I won't respond because in other words, if I see myself as the law, you're telling me I can't practice it in the way that I want to, then I'm going to figure out a way to do it in the way that makes sense to me. So if I can have you agree to what I do, then I'm going to just walk off. That way you have no control over what I do and I get to continue to have my own thoughts. But I know Dr. Ori can uh, more eloquently state that than I can. And so uh, I think that he'll be able to dive into, he's got some research that talks about implicit bias and, and police officers and policing. And I think that's going to be helpful to better understand those concepts. Well, I mean, so I guess without further ado, Dr. Tarp, you don't mind giving us a quick, uh, a brief introduction. We had the luxury of having Dr. Uh, uh, having Dr. Ori on the show before we know he's a, uh, a lot of professor uh, at, at, at Jackson State, uh, former uh, chair of uh, political science. Uh, we know he's talented. He graduated, got his PhD from University of uh, New Orleans. We know he got his master's degree from uh, uh, Sunny. Stonebrook, uh, State University of New York at Stonebrook. I, I get it kind of confused, but he's an extremely talented guy there at Jackson State. You want to talk more about all of these credentials? I'm just ready to get into this work about the implicit bias and, and try to get a deeper understanding about it. I think I think Dr. Ori would agree with you. He is, he is not a man that, that uh, cares too much for the pomp and circumstance. I'm sure he is ready to get into the dialogue, and uh, you all can definitely research him on his website to learn more information about him and the work that he does at Jackson State. Perfect. So we'll, we'll get to uh, more of that and allow Dr. Ori to get you to, um, to read all of his great uh, things. But we want to get into it. Dr. Tarby, you want to go to the first questions? I can't wait to get to mine. Yeah, so you uh, kind of stole my thunder asking for these definitions. <laughs> okay. I'm going to need you to follow the script. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to, uh, Dr. Ori, first of all, welcome to the show. I don't think we, we formally in a oh, there you go. <laughs> so thanks again for coming back. <laughs> Thank you all for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know that you have done a lot of research in the areas of um, what we're going to talk about today is racial trauma. Some people call it collective trauma um, um, battle 
fatigue syndrome. There's a lot of different names for it, uh, but then also the racial implicit bias. And then we're actually going to get into racial identity development. But I do think it's important for us to help our viewers, if you will, understand what some of these concepts mean, and particularly in terms of, of your research. So let's start with uh, attorney Winner's question about implicit racial bias. Let's kind of break that down and then we'll get into cognitive dissonance and racial trauma and um, uh, the identity models. Yeah, so implicit bias is the um, unconscious biases that people have related to um, particular objects, if you will. Um, and so unconscious biases are not subconscious biases. Unconscious biases are those that you do not know that you possess uh, and you cannot control. Uh, so, you know, when we do these different exercises, such as an implicit association test, and I would, you know, ask the audience to just Google implicit association test, IAT, Harvard, and there are a number of exercises that you can do, and you'll be quite surprised at whether or not you have biases. A lot of African Americans are uncomfortable when they find out that they have positive biases toward whites and negative biases toward blacks. But, I mean, that's not, you know, for me, that's not very surprising because, you know, we are socialized in this country whereby, you know, we have these different agents of socialization, such as the media, such as schools with respect to education. And so what we're taught um, I know Dr. Tarver, this is using jargon, but we have these uh, referent bins, that's all I'll call them, I'll say garbage cans, I'll say garbage cans, but that's sort of derogatory. But we have these little cans that are, you know, we store information in to our head. And so, you know, if you throw red balls and blue balls, you know, if you throw a bunch of blue balls and then all the rest of them are red balls, then that's recent. You recently put that information into that can. But now if you throw 100 red balls and only 10 blue balls, that's frequency. And so how frequent you store information and how recently you store information can impact your information processing. Now, the socialization piece is, you know, you have all of this information that you've accumulated, whether or not you've thought about it or not. You know, you're watching TV and there's a scene whereby police officers accustom, you know, they, they accost a black person and then accuse that person of, you know, a crime. Well, all you might hear if you're not, if you're, if you're in tune with society is that, you know, that person committed a crime and the police are actually um, arresting that person. And then the, you know, movie goes on and you don't think anything about it. Well, you've actually just added and reinforced rather, those negative stereotypes to that little can that you have in there with respect to black people. And so it could be black males and you know, with respect to black females, you know, you could add all these different stereotypes such as, you know, black women being loose, um, going back to Sapphire, Jezebel and all those different types of um, negative stereotypes, um, loud, angry. And so when you see these, you know, episodes of Atlanta Housewives, not to knock Atlanta Housewives, 
into it when my mother when my wife was in there uh, watching it. Uh, so it can't pull you into it. But it reinforces these negative stereotypes. And, you know, whether it be colorism, whether it be hair texture, because it's rare that you see an extreme dark woman on any of these shows. It's rare that you see a woman with natural hair on any of these shows. And so in terms of, you know, aesthetics, for example, you know, you automatic, that's the key, automatic. So unconscious bias is associated with automatic responses. You cannot control them. And so you can even link that, and we'll talk about it later, to how we measure emotional responses through physiological um, methods. And these are automatic. You can't, you can't control them. So I said all that to say <laughs> that these are the definition of implicit bias, if you will. But I do want to um, go back to Attorney Winter's point at some, at some point, I want to go back to the discussion of the police and their biases. Okay, we're definitely going to get into that. That's a, going to be a, a huge part of the segment. Just wanted to throw that terminology out there. I know that, I know that uh, for a lot of people, they think implicit racial bias only applies to white people and that these are negative beliefs that white people have toward black people or other people of color. And they don't necessarily recognize that these are beliefs that anyone can have that be automatic and negative about particular groups. So I appreciate you clarifying that. The other one that you talk about a lot is cognitive dissonance. So mm -hmm. I'll make sure we highlight that and then hit the um, racial identity models because I think you kind of got into that a little bit as well. So talk to a little bit about cognitive dissonance. So cognitive dissonance, you know, that's where you receive factual information, but it's inconsistent with your own ideology, I'll say. Um, and so you have these perceptions, but when you get facts, you ignore the facts and resort back to what you think to be quote unquote facts. Um, and so, you know, I look at the case of the Mississippi State flag, which is the Confederate battle flag in the canton or the corner. And, you know, I can tell someone, look, I did this research and I found that college students have not only resentful, but old fashioned racial attitudes toward blacks, they are more likely to support the flag. This was back in 2001 before I fled this great state. <laughs> After the flag vote, I literally left like Jed Clampett, I picked up and moved away from here. And so, you know, if you look at, and I don't try to make this simple. So if you look at like white supremacy, anytime you say the word white supremacy, it makes people cringe. It probably even make, you know, black people cringe. You know, like reparations, you cringe because you're taught to cringe, you know. And so white supremacy, if we look at the state flag, the state flag has a battle flag that was used in the Confederate in the Civil War, right? So it's no question the facts of the secession document used says that the war, or let me say this, that Mississippi seceded from the Union to protect slavery. There's a document that says that. We don't have to argue about that. And so when we talk about heritage and hate and so forth, that document says that it's about slavery. So if they seceded based on slavery and the battle flag 
was used in the battle of the Civil War to enslave someone suggests that one group is superior, that is the oppressor that enslaves, and the group that they enslave is inferior. So if white supremacy is this notion that one group is supreme or superior and one group is inferior, then this symbol is the epitome of white supremacy. Now, if I articulated that to someone who, you know, is a flag waver, then they will dismiss that. And if I tell them, well, that is your heritage, you're absolutely right. That's your heritage. Well, then I would be the person who's, you know, invoking negativity into the conversation. So a bit long-winded again. <laughs> but, you know, that's an example, I think, of cognitive dissonance. Okay. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that's a good example. And also one that comes up fairly often is when we post things like Black Lives Matter and a response to that is White Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. Yes, 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 uh, yes. It makes us uncomfortable when we focus on just the Black lives. And so my discomfort means I need to say something in response to that to make me feel more comfortable. So that yes. was an example of cognitive dissonance. But I'm gonna let you, because you mentioned, going back to Attorney Winters' question, I'm gonna let you and Attorney Winters have a dialogue he posed the question to me, but I, I'll instead have him pose the question to you about um, officers' responses, particularly in the Atlanta area currently, around uh, not not going to work. Yeah, well, I guess, all right. Well, thanks, Dr. Tarver. But you know, the, developing that question, uh, Dr. Ori, is is um, what can what is it about? Because it's all finance to me. At the end of the day, it's the big cost. I, I've watched. I had the privilege of watching The Five Bloods uh, uh, by uh, uh, director Spike Lee um, to the wee hours of the morning. I caught myself watching James Baldwin uh, when he was so articulate about how he packed up like Jack Clampett and moved to France, France and how he lived in Europe. And he could write there at peace. He could work at peace and earn a living at peace because one thing he didn't have to worry about in France at the time is that he did not have to worry about the immutable characteristic of the color skin interfering with his economic wealth. And what would make you, your bias be so strong, even in the face of, of some real facts, that cognitive dissonance, dissonance, that when you have real facts, that no, these people just want to live and go home and go see their kids and go see their spouses and get up and go to work the next day. They may want to have a little beer. They may want to, you know, let the hair down. They're going through all of this trauma, as we learned, you know, a couple of weeks ago. All this trauma that's in their lives. This is all that they do. Man, every, I know good and well everybody on this show just want to go home and go to sleep at night. That's it. I don't, want, I don't want a lot of action. I just want to go home and go to sleep at night. Now, if you know this is the, the real case, what makes your bias say, not only am I, uh, I'm serious about it, I'm going to get the chance to do this. I'm willing to, to interfere with my job, not go to work, what a police union said, we're going to give y'all bonuses if you don't go. What, what would make your bias for that? What would make the, the white officers do it? And what would make the black officers do it? Yeah, so the brotherhood. I mean, you know, if you're in a fraternity, if you're in a sorority, you, know, you have that bond. Um, and you have these, it's a secret society. <laughs> and so there's a code blue. Um, I don't know if I, if, 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 if I, if that's the right word or language. But in this case, if you're a black, blue trumps black. 
And so you identify because it's your job and you actually have power. There's not many places that black people have power with the exception of their jobs. And so if you take, for example, a sales clerk in a shopping store and you need help, but you know she's busy doing her job, which includes helping you, you know, even black people will give you the business in terms of why are you worrying me? And you have a question. So if you're the client and then now you have to deal with white people and now you have to deal with black people who have these biases against black people and it further, further frustrates you. But going back to the point, I mean, that power is being able to get a being able to get B to do something that B otherwise wouldn't do. And so if you don't have power anywhere else and you go to your job and you're afforded this power, you're bonded with this group and you can't, you know, you can't deviate from this group. And then that gets to what we'll talk about later, identity. You know, what do you identify with most? Do you identify with being a police officer? Even though after work, you go right back home in many, many instances to your predominantly black neighborhood. Or does race identify you first and foremost? And that drives, if you will, the way that you treat your fellow citizens um, when you are at work, um, you know, protecting and serving. Um, but when blue trumps black, that's what you get. And, and so my research that I've done recently, um, when we look at the implicit biases of whether or not you shoot or don't shoot, and we have them doing this simulator, and it seems like a game because it's done on a computer, but you either shoot or you don't shoot, and you have 500 milliseconds to shoot, which is less than a second, and your unconscious bias has to make that decision. What we found was those black police officers who erred in shooting unarmed blacks were more likely to have resentful attitudes toward blacks. In other words, some of the psychological questions in the inventory that we had would be, you know, that blacks don't try hard enough. That's why they're not successful. It discounts the structural barriers. The Irish and the Italians and the Jews made it, but blacks and blacks should do the same thing, which discounts slavery. And then another question is um, the opposite of slavery accounts for some of the disparities. So those who say, no, it's not the case that slavery Anyway, there are multiple questions that we use on the, you know, surveys and those who answer in the direction of more resentment attitudes toward Blacks, resentful attitudes toward Blacks, were more likely to make errors in shooting unarmed Blacks. On the other hand, those who were less likely to make errors had a strong racial identity. And in this particular case, racial identity is what we call linked or common faith. And that is... I think that what happens to other Blacks will impact my individual life. Now, if you ask that question to whites in the individualistic society where individualism is a part of the American ethos, but for Blacks, it's always, it has always been collectivism until individualism 
came into play. In other words, once we got quote unquote freedom, then there are blacks who are individuals now until of course they need to play the race card. And so um, these black police officers who you know had a common bond with other blacks were less likely to make error. And so in that case, black trumps blue. In the resentment case, blue trumps black. That's, it's just disturbing. And I'm gonna ask this question because we're gonna go on a break, but as a follow-up, does blue ever trump white? Does the black blue understand that blue doesn't trump white? That's a good question. I don't, I, I've not done any empirical um, um, analyses, but I will, you know, I'll take a speculative um, um, dive, which I rarely do. So, in many instances, for example, I think it was in Minnesota, but I can't remember, where the black cop yep. shot the white woman. Yeah, the Australian national living in America, yep. Yes, and he was prosecuted and sentenced, right? Oh yeah, he got, he got, he's in jail right now. So this is a classic case of what we see in Atlanta. Um, in Atlanta, the protest is, look, we're not going on our job because if you don't want us to do our job, we're not going to put ourselves in jeopardy of going out there. And so there, that is a point to be, to be, to be addressed because I've been thinking about this with this research. Part of this research calculates how fast you made a decision to shoot or not to shoot. So when you push that button, it calculates the milliseconds that it took you to push that button. And so individuals can make that split second decision not to pull that trigger and they can get shot. So there is, you know, some room for negotiating that discussion because, you know, a police officer could put themselves in danger by, you know what, I might get in trouble. I'm not going to shoot. But I think on the flip side, the overwhelming evidence sort of points to them being more trigger happy. And all of that, we'll talk about this after the break, is dehumanization of black folk. Which, if you remind me, we have to talk about how black folks are 150% in their mind, this whole resiliency issue. I don't know where you're going to fit that in, Dr. Tarver. I'll work it out. Yeah, we got to talk about that because that's another form of dehumanization. And I think that's, uh, that gives us to a, a good spot to just take a pause. But, you know, we're, we have the luxury here, Dr. Tarver and I get the luxury of having Dr. Uh, Dr. Ori with us again. Uh, this episode, we're discussing great things like implicit bias, these automatic biases, these cognitive uh, dissonance, dissonance where you have facts and you live in your own reality, irrespective of real facts that you have. Uh, so having this opportunity to, to discuss this and juxtapose it against racial trauma and how this is happening in justice and playing out in our lives on a daily basis. This is in our own defense podcast. We'll be right back after this uh, commercial break. Thank you. <laughs> 